All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We would like to remind you that there is a special introductory offer for first-time subscribers to each of those newsletters. Call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com. Also go to jtaylormedia.com to access this show and all the other activities that yours truly is involved with. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable for the first hour of today's show. They are American Manganese, Atochia Resources, Lucky Strike Resources, Helio Resources, Metanor Resources, Merrick's Gold Inc., Millrock Resources, and Palangio Exploration. Well, today I am in Hong Kong on my way to Taipei. Uh, given the difficulty of doing live shows uh, from Asia, Today's show has been completely pre-recorded. Much of today's show involves piecing together warnings of two former U.S. presidents, namely Dwight David Eisenhower and John F. Kennedy. Those warnings have gone largely unheeded, and that has resulted in an erosion of our national standing, not only in terms of our country's financial demise, but also in terms of our morality and the standing that we have around the world and, most importantly, our personal liberties. While the warnings of Eisenhower about the dangers of the military-industrial complex and the warnings of Kennedy about the dangers of our liberties from a powerful secret society, uh, neither of the secret society or the military-industrial complex would have been nearly as damaging as they have become to our personal liberties had it not been for the very damaging um, policy of Richard Nixon when he took the dollar off the gold standard in 1971. And I will play a short segment of Nixon's speech in the second half of today's show, and thereafter I will comment on how his lies and half-truths have enabled the military-industrial complex and the highly secretive Federal Reserve to take our liberties away from us and in the process impoverish our nation for the benefit of a few ruling elite. Again, none of this would have been possible had it not been for Nixon taking us off the gold standard in 1971. So you'll want to hear Nixon's words and promises in the last half of today's show that uh, will show how he paved the way for the damages that have been done over the last few decades. In a few minutes, you will hear the January 17, 1961 speech from Dwight Eisenhower. 
in which he did warn us about our military-industrial complex uh, and how that would take our freedom away from us if we uh, if it went unchecked. Then you will hear the April 27, 1962 speech from John Kennedy before the newspaper publishes association in which he warns of secret societies and how the press must be responsible to keep those interests in the public's awareness. After the speeches of Eisenhower and Kennedy, we will air a recent speech at the National Press Club uh, of one and the only serious presidential candidate who would and still does agree with Eisenhower and Kennedy's warnings. And I'm talking, of course, about Ron Paul, who I know believes actually uh, that I, I now do believe that he actually has a chance of becoming president. And I'm not saying the odds are great, but the enormous support he enjoys from the grassroots could result, I think, in him becoming the Republican candidate for president. One political analyst recently noted that the depth of Ron's support is something like he has never seen before, and he compared it only to the late Robert Kennedy uh, in the depth of support that he had. So he thinks that Mr. Uh, Dr. Paul could pull an upset. Toward the end of today's show, as I said, I will be airing Richard Nixon's speech, and I'll be commenting on it later uh, after the speech. As Ron Paul recently noted, the Federal Reserve spends more money than Congress of the United States, and it has no responsibility, no responsibility, no oversight to the American public for that. The funding of the military, of course, was made possible, again, by Nixon taking us off the gold standard in 1971, and now our personal liberties are eroding away from us, we now, the President of the United States or the military, can decide that you or I are an enemy of the state and without a trial can assassinate us. And, in fact, that has recently happened to an American citizen in Afghanistan with the use of the military drones. What is emerging in America is potentially nothing less, in my view, than a horrific fascist regime similar to that of the Nazi Germany era. All the institutions are in place, in my view, for a similar a tragic outcome. And again, Ron Paul stands in the way of that, and that's why I'm playing his speech of October 5th. Uh, it will be played in three parts. The first will do with personal liberty, the erosion of it. The second will have to do with the need for gold to hold those personal liberties uh, to, to allow them to be retained. And thirdly, there's a fairly lengthy question and answer period in which Ron Paul will respond to numerous questions from the audience and from the press club. Uh, then later in the show, uh, uh, well, I should say that uh, we this show is more than most has to do with politics and economics and more theory than practical aspects. However, we always do like to have some practical investment ideas. And so in just a few minutes, as soon as we go to the commercial break, I'm going to be talking to Richard Williams. He is the CEO of a very promising gold exploration company named Helio Resource Corp. Yes, they are a sponsor of ours. One, I think, has a great deal of promise, and they are in Tanzania and Namibia. Well, that's all. Now we're going to go to our first commercial break so we can get on to uh, former presidents, their warnings. Actually, we're going to be right back with Mr. Williams at Helio Resources and then the discussion with, uh, of the various presidents and their warnings. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. 
by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the Southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Lucky Strike Resources Limited conducts due diligence drilling on the claim with a historical resource of 1.5 billion tons of coal in Mongolia. The project is directly north of China, where the coal consumption tripled in the last 10 years to 3.2 billion tons in 2010. Lucky Strike's management team has a proven track record, having contributed significantly in the building of a multi-billion dollar company operating in China. Please visit our website at www.luckystrikeresources.com and get in on this investment opportunity at the ground floor. Merex Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merex's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me Richard Williams. He is the CEO and also director of Helio Resources Corp. This is a company that trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol HRC. You can buy it in the United States in the over-the-counter market under the symbol H-E-L-O-F. Approximately 105 million shares outstanding, trading at about 33 cents, giving it a market cap of $35 million. I should mention, uh, for the sake of full disclosure, that Helio Resources is a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, 
and uh, it uh, Healy also happens to be a sponsor uh, to this show. Welcome, Richard, uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, thank you, Jay. Thanks for the opportunity today. Really good to have you. Um, I'm always interested in junior mining companies that have the potential to become something more and bigger, and that seems to be the case, which is why I've selected uh, your company for my newsletter. Uh, Helio has two promising gold exploration projects, uh, the most advanced being, I, I believe it's called the SMP property in Tanzania, and then it has a second uh, project called the Damara Gold Project, I believe, if correct me. If I'm correct, yes. Those are the names in Namibia. And you have a 43-101 resource, I think, of around 940,000 ounces uh, on your Tanzania project. Um, I understand this resource is considered to be an open pit target, um, but I understand that you also may have the potential to develop an underground mine there as well. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your SMP project? Certainly. Um, we acquired the project in, uh, or we started work on it in early 2006, and uh, over the course of the last couple of years, we've grown the project to its current size, which is about 240 square kilometers. So it's, it's a large land package, and what's really attractive about it is that it covers a 35-kilometer section of what's called the Saza Shia Zone. It also includes what was Tanzania's second largest gold mine back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. That was an underground mine, so we do know that there are zones of mineralization that can support significant underground operations. Uh, that mine produced just over a quarter of a million ounces at around 7.5 grams or a quarter of an ounce per tonne. And what we've been looking for, which uh, no previous explorers have really uh, looked at, is the open pit potential. We've identified 30 outcropping mineralized zones within the project area. Hmm. We've advanced two of those to the resource stage, and you touched on that. Uh, that's where the 940,000 ounces mm -hmm. currently comes from. Uh, but seeing that we have an additional 20-odd targets to add to that resource, uh, in our minds, the project represents very significant potential to develop what ultimately will, uh, in our minds, become a multi-million ounce resource. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that, explore why you think that's true. Um, as I look at the uh, at a map of, of the various um, resources, or, the, or let's say the various uh, showings that you have, uh, this is a map, I believe, that, that extends, or at least your property boundaries extend some, I think, 35 kilometers or something like that? That's right. It's almost 40 kilometers east-west. Um, we've got five licenses uh, that we started within that area. We've completed the earning uh, to 100% ownership on four of the five licenses, and uh, the fifth license will be completed in early 2013. Uh, the property vendors are Tanzanian uh, small mining companies, so we do have local partnerships there, which is always a good thing to have in these jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. um, they would retain a 2% royalty, which we can reduce to 1%. Now, what's, what's interesting here is that we have tested uh, 11 or 12 targets along the Saza Shia Zone, um, along about a 20-kilometer section of the Saza Shia Zone, and every time we've crossed that fault zone, we've hit mineralization. So we know that we're dealing with a very extensive, widespread mineralized event. Um, we've focused in the last few years on what we call the Porcupine and Kenge targets. Uh, porcupine is on average up to 40 meters wide, it outcrops that surface, and the porcupine area represents about 55% of the existing resource. 
Mm-hmm. We've drilled it from surface to a vertical depth of around 300 meters. And the deepest hole that we drilled went through 28 meters of 5 grams per ton gold. Mm-hmm. So that's where we see you know, the potential to extend from open pitable resources into underground mm-hmm. uh, resource potential. Would you see 300 meters as being pretty much the, the depth of the pit, or, or, or how deep do you think you could um, uh, it, open pit? I know it's early to know yet, but... I, I think currently, from what we've seen on the project, sort of 250 would be the limit for an open mm-hmm. pit. Um, you know, obviously that's contingent on gold price mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but I think if you look at some of the comparable deposits, um, we have a similar geological set into New Montsahafo mine in Ghana, which has a pit floor depth of around 400 to 450 meters. Um, so, you know, I think if we continue to get similar type of targets to Porcupine, uh, that's not beyond the realm of, of expectations. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you before we go further, what is the the intent of this of your company? Is it to become a producer or an exploration company, build up lots of ounces, and then hand it off to a, a larger company that has the resources to produce? What is your what is the intent? Well, I think you know if you look at the makeup of the company, uh, myself and my uh, co-founder, business partner Chris McKenzie, uh, our strength is in the exploration side. Uh, mm-hmm. We've always been very quick to get into uh, belts that we feel, or geological belts that we feel are underexplored but have significant exploration potential. And you know, I think there's a real need from the producing companies to find explorers that have the capacity to to find new multi-million ounce resources. And I think mm-hmm. that's where we come into the sector. Now, what we've been doing in Tanzania is moving the project through all of the risk aspects associated with any exploration project. We've we've identified an initial resource, which is just a starter, which is close to a million ounces. We've completed initial metallurgical test work, which shows a, a very straightforward, simple recovery process. We are seeing recoveries in the order of 95% gold, which is very high. Um, the gold occurs as free gold, which uh, means that the, the recovery process is very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's supported by one of our key shareholders. We've got the IFC uh, International Finance Corp, which is a member of the World Bank, as our largest shareholder, and they obviously recognise the potential to take this project from where it is today into a mine. Um, now, we're not going to sit here and just continue spinning the wheels and, you know, continuing to drill. We'll keep moving the project forward to add value to it, um, increase the resource, um, tick off all the check boxes, um, which may be risk aspects. And at some point, you know, I think somebody's going to come along and say, that looks attractive to us, and that's our job as an explorer. Well, speaking of check boxes, what about infrastructure? Um, is this a remote project? Uh, how easy is it to get to it? What about water? What about power? Some of those all, always those are concerns for mining projects. Sure. Um, we, we're in the western part of Tanzania. Um, we are about 80 kilometers to the north of the main regional town called Mbeya. Um, Mbeya is served by probably the best road in Tanzania. It's a paved road from the coast, the Indian Ocean at Dar es Salaam, through Mbeya, up into the, uh, which extends up into the Zambian copper belt. So we often see mine equipment and uh, copper plate, mine equipment going into the copper belt and uh, copper plate coming out from the copper belt. Uh, there's railroad access to Mbeya. We've got um, 
power into the project area. Currently, it's it's not sufficient to run a mine, but the grid infrastructure is there. Mm-hmm. Um, the there are some small villages in the vicinity of the project, but none of the targets that we have been testing would be impacted by um, proposed open pit mining. And you know, again, that we that were aspects that the IFC would look at is the impact on the local economy, which is obviously sure. very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an area in Western Tanzania that really has a mining history, but hasn't had much exploration done on it in in recent years. Water sources, we're very close to a large regional lake, which is about 200 kilometers long. Um, there are no national parks in the area. Um, so we're well-served infrastructure-wise. I, I would actually say that we're in, in a better position than some of the original mines that African Barrick now operates in northern mm-hmm. Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You have nearly a million ounces now. Uh, and how extensive of a drill program are you currently engaged in, and when might you expect to update that resource with a new 43101 uh, resource number? Well, this year's program was to, was planned to drill uh, up to 20,000 meters of drilling in Tanzania. Uh, that was a $5 million budget. We've got drill results due to come from uh, the Porcupine Resource Area, which we expect in the next two weeks' time. We have recently tested a new target called Tumbili, which is a two-kilometer-long golden soil anomaly that has artisanal workings hmm. scattered along it, so we know that there is high-grade gold mineralization associated with that. That's due to come in the next, uh, probably within a month. And we are currently drill testing what we call the Kono Kono target, which is midway between Porcupine and Kenge. It's a corridor, uh, strong structural um, uh, action, uh, Mm -hmm. good ground preparation for mineralization. And the last drill hole we drilled there came back with almost four grams over 13 meters, so it's, it's wide open. Um, that's the ongoing drilling. So from a resource perspective, uh, with success in the current uh, targets that we're testing, we'd like to see the potential for um, doubling the resource within the next six, six months to 12 months. And that's our objective is to, to see that resource get closer to 2 million ounces within the next year. Okay. Well, as I say, we have a $35 million market cap, and uh, you would think that that should do something for the market cap if you're able to do that. Certainly is a very interesting, uh, a very interesting prospect. I, I wonder. Um, so you have local participation, which I think is excellent. You want to have good relations with the local people. You want them to understand that it's good for them. And um, so, to a lot of your geologists or, or who are working there on the property, uh, locals. Who are? Who, what are some of the local responsibilities? Yeah, our local staffing levels vary, obviously, with the level of activity, but typically somewhere in the order of 60 to 70 people, of which we have uh, three expats and pretty much everybody else is local Tanzanian. So we've got Tanzanian geologists, Tanzanian geotechnicians, and all of the local labor is sourced from the local communities. So that's really had a positive effect on, mm-hmm. on the surrounding villages, and not only from our perspective, but the contractors that we use for diamond drilling, geophysics, also higher locally, and uh, you know that's really generated some uh, very good relationships with the local communities. Sure. When you, um, you know, if you hand this project off, you develop a multi-million ounce deposit, and clearly the big guys, the big mining companies, are not particularly good at replacing the ounces they're producing. What are some of the names in Africa, in this part of Africa anyway, 
uh, some of the larger companies that are there now. Well, in Tanzania in particular, you've got um, African Barrick, which currently has four gold mines in production, and their objective over the next few years is to be producing at least a million ounces per year from Tanzania. Um, their stated target size is somewhere in the order of a million ounces, mineable, 100,000 ounces a year production. Uh, so obviously we're in that kind of ballpark already. Um, Anglo Gold Ashanti has a very large mine called Gator in production in northern Tanzania. Uh, Resolute Mining from Australia is there. Uh, Goldfields, I Am Gold have been active in Tanzania. So there's uh, you know, a lot of the companies that are active throughout Africa recognize Tanzania as having the potential to develop the types of deposits that uh, these larger companies like to see. Excuse me. The, the SMP project is certainly the most advanced project that you have. Uh, but you are also involved uh, in Namibia. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit about that project, the Damara project. Yeah, Namibia is actually the country where we started the company in, uh, as privately in 2001. Uh, it's probably ranked as one of the lowest risk countries to operate in, in Africa. It's got a long mining history through diamonds, uranium, copper, zinc, and more recently gold. There's one gold mine in production, uh, operated again by Anglo Gold Ashanti, called Navichab. And this has now been in production 22 years. It was initially built with a, with a view that it would be a 10-year mine life. So it's already 12 years uh, past its uh, end of life date. And the resource, which started off at 800,000 ounces, is now in excess of uh, 6.5 million ounces. And I think that speaks to the potential in this belt that's really never looked, been properly explored. And our licenses are immediately to the east of Anglo's operation. Um, more recently, a company called Oryx Gold, from, also listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, um, acquired what was called the Ochicotto Project, which is about 150 kilometers northeast of us. Uh, they are currently being acquired by B2 Gold, uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, well known uh, previously as Bima Gold, mm -hmm. and I think that's you know again speaks to the potential in the country to to do good transactions like this, and also the ability for companies to come in and build a mine. Uh, both countries, Tanzania and Namibia, have uh, have shown a willingness to to see new projects being built um, quickly and to benefit the economy as quickly as possible. So, mm -hmm. from that aspect, Namibia is a great place to operate. How much work has been done there so far on your property in Namibia, and how much are you doing now? The, we have four licenses that make up the Damara Gold Project. They cover uh, just over 3,000 square kilometers, so it's, again, a very large land package. The two licenses closest to Anglo's Navichab mine had some work done on them in the late 1990s, early part of the last decade. And some of the shallow drilling uh, that Anglo completed ended in some very good grade mineralization, examples being sort of four, four meters of eight and a half grams gold, uh, a meter of 71 grams gold, six meters of six and a half grams gold. And due to the depressed gold price at that time, um, basically there hasn't been any exploration done on those licenses since that time. Mm -hmm. Now, we own the projects 100%. Um, we have a two million dollar work program uh, ongoing for this year. We've completed around 9,000 meters of drilling. Um, we've made a new discovery at what we call the gold cop target. 
the first diamond drill hole came back with 52, actually 50 meters of 2.1 grams gold, hmm. 0.8% copper, and half an ounce silver. Hmm. Um, we, and that was from about a 50 to 100 meter depth. Mm-hmm. We also did some reconnaissance, reverse circulation drilling over about a one and a half kilometer strike length around that discovery. And 300 meters away, we went through a zone that was four meters of 11 and a half grams gold, another one eight meters of two grams gold. Mm-hmm. And about 100 meters south of the new discovery, we actually went through a very broad zone. Uh, it's about 250 meters wide of uh, sort of just short of half gram gold mineralization, which is fairly typical of the bulk tonnage systems that you see at Navichab. It's a combination of, of low-grade mineralization around higher grade zones like the 50 meters or two grams that we found. Mm-hmm. Well, you certainly have two excellent, very, very exciting properties. Uh, how's your budget? Uh, how much money do you have in the till? Are you going to need to raise some? We have about 30 seconds left. Sure. We, our budget for this year was around $7 million in work. We started the year with around $11 million. Um, with G&A, we're looking at ending the year with around $2.5 million in the bank. Um, we've got news, obviously, to come from uh, two different targets in Namibia, three different targets in Tanzania, um, and with the success we've been having you know, from a money-raising perspective, uh, we don't need to raise any money within the ne- in the near term. Well, that uh, certainly is a very exciting story for a company with a very minuscule market cap. Uh, obviously, uh, most likely some more gold ounces to be reported in the near future. Really look forward to keeping up. Uh, with all that's going on, I uh, thank you very much for coming on, sharing your story with our listeners. So, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with speeches from two former presidents, namely Dwight David Eisenhower and John Kennedy, who warned us about the dangers of our economy and our freedoms if the United States embraces a military-industrial complex and if we allow secret societies to become our policymakers. Don't go away. I will be right back with the voices of former presidents Eisenhower and Kennedy and a potential president, Ron Paul. Don't go away. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Lucky Strike Resources Limited conducts due diligence drilling on the claim with a historical resource of 1.5 billion tons of coal in Mongolia. The project is directly north of China, where the coal consumption tripled in the last 10 years to 3.2 billion tons in 2010. Lucky Strike's management team has a proven track record, having contributed significantly in the building of a multi-billion dollar company operating in China. Please visit our website at www.luckystrikeresources.com and get in on this investment opportunity at the ground floor. 
American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP gold project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatsjab Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Attention gold stock investors, Brazil Resources Inc., trading as BRIZF on the OTCQX and as BRI on the TSX Venture, is exploring three gold projects in the Garupi Gold Belt in Brazil. Surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits, BRI features top Brazilian geologists, earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold directly in Brazil, led by recognized mining and financing executive Amir Adnani, co-founder and chairman. Look us up now at www.brazilresources.com. That's Brazil Resources. Or call us at 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Um, It is 50 years after the fact when President Eisenhower warned us of the military-industrial complex and John Kennedy warned us about the dangers of a secret society that a new presidential candidate, Ron Paul, is warning us now that those warnings of earlier presidents are starting to come home to roost. Now it is obvious that America is moving more and more away from the free market economic system that made us the most free people in the history of man with liberty and justice for all, with some regrettable exceptions along racial lines. In his January 17, 1961 speech, President Eisenhower warned 
that the military-industrial complex must be held in check or else Americans could lose their freedoms and liberties. And on April 27, 1962, John Kennedy warned us about the dangers of our freedom and liberties being lost as a result of secret societies if they abound and become stronger. In his speech before the Newspaper Publishers Association, Kennedy noted that there is little reason to defend our country if in the process we lose the basic values of freedom and liberty that our country has stood for and our founding fathers risked their lives for. Of course, there is no more danger uh, da there is no more dangerous secret society, in my view, than the Federal Reserve Bank. As Ron Paul recently pointed out, the Fed spends more money than Congress does as it creates money out of thin air for bailing out its friends and cronies. But unlike Congress, the Federal Reserve is not in the least bit responsible and accountable to the American people. Listen now to a short two-and-a-half-minute speech by President Eisenhower, that is the January 17, 1962 speech, followed by the remarks of President Kennedy, in 1962. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We now stand ten years past the midpoint of a century that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, 
There is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program, for from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people, for I have complete confidence and the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. This administration intends to be candid about its errors, for as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, Without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, 
for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press, to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Well, there you have it. President Eisenhower warned us in 1961 about the threats of our personal liberty if the military-industrial complex grows out of control. Today, the United States spends more money on its military than the next 14 countries combined. Then, President Kennedy warned us in 1962 about the threat to our personal liberties from secret societies. There is no more an important secret society than the Federal Reserve Bank, which, as Ron Paul recently pointed out, spends more money than the U.S. Congress, but has absolutely no oversight as to what it is doing with the money it has created out of thin air. Ron Paul is the only presidential candidate these days who is paying any attention to the warnings of Eisenhower and Kennedy and who is trying to get our nation back on path with the values of our founding fathers gave us and they risked their lives for back in 1776. Listen now to the first part of Ron Paul's speech at the National Press Club on October 5, 2011. Then after the commercial break, we will come back with Dr. Paul when he talks about the importance of gold as money in keeping and retaining our liberties. Thank you very much for that nice introduction and that nice reception. I am honored that I received an invitation to speak here today, so I'm very pleased to be here and look forward to visiting with you. You know, b before I get into my remarks, I, I did want to make one announcement with the campaign. I'm not very good at remembering the details of campaigning because I get really very much involved in economic policy and foreign policy, and I don't talk a whole lot about the intricacies of the, of the campaign. But, you know, we did just end a quarter uh, for fundraising, and the reports will be out, I think, on the 15th, but we do have pretty uh, sound numbers that we have on the amount of money we collected. And uh, I, I've been told by the staff that uh, we have collected over, over $8 million, and uh, also that our number of donors to the campaign now is over 100,000. So uh, we are very pleased with that and believe that will give us the energy to keep uh, the campaign moving right along since right now there's a lot of energy uh, with our uh, volunteers and with our organization. And we have a lot of energy uh, associated with our young people on college campuses. So that will continue. But I do want to uh, spend some time today to get started in the discussion is on uh, economic policy because uh, in the campaign economic policy right now is a uh, is is the big issue and the, the issue of jobs and and uh, why we're in a recession and and what exactly is going on four years ago this subject came up and uh, even in 07 I was talking about being in a recession and this was sort of fluffed off uh, things have changed a whole lot. My concerns about the monetary system, the Federal Reserve System, the unemployment rate, this, the financial bubbles that we were uh, experiencing uh, early on uh, have all come about where 
the average person on the street knows there's something very seriously wrong. And this is not like uh, another recession. We've had 17 uh, setbacks, um, recession types, some more severe than others, since we've had our Federal Reserve System. So this whole idea that the Federal Reserve is supposed to be the major participant in central economic planning, and they're supposed to give us stable prices, and they're supposed to give us full employment. I would say the evidence is uh, out there. Uh, they haven't done a very good job. And uh, even though they might give you statistics and say, well, yes, uh, prices aren't going up that much. Actually, we would like them to go up a little faster. And we only have 2% inflation when they measure prices and CPI. But that is a fiction, and I think most people know it. If you go back to the old calculation of CPI, and if you look to the free market economists, you will find that prices are going up at a rate of about 9%. And for some people, when the economy goes up even faster. So everybody's inflation rate is, uh, is it's not all the same. So, you know, if you're a very wealthy person, you don't really care about the price of uh, gasoline and other things. But if you're living on the margin or if you're a retired person, uh, it's a very serious matter. And right now, retirees are suffering a whole lot because the last uh, two go-arounds, uh, they didn't get a cost of living increase, claiming that there is no, uh, no uh, price inflation uh, to worry about. But my challenge over the many years and my motivation to get involved in politics in the 1970 had to do with economic policy in relationship to the, uh, the principle of personal liberty. Uh, I deal with, uh, if, if somebody asks me what my main goal is, and that is to uh, uh, restore individual liberty to everybody in this country equally. And then you would have a special way of looking at all civil liberties. You would look have a, a special idea about what kind of foreign policy we should have, but certainly it would tell us what kind of an economic policy that we would have. So I have, uh, I believe in the free market. I believe the free market is the only humane system that can provide the maximum benefits to the maximum number of people. And I reject central economic planning. My whole problem in a political sense is that we are now witnessing the failure of an economic system that has been with us, uh, especially since the 1930s, because basically uh, we as, uh, as, as a people in our universities have been taught Keynesian economics, and that's planned economy, and uh, the Federal Reserve has become the, the, the big central economic planner. But the results right now and the demonstrations on the streets, not only around the world, but here in the United States, demonstrates that there's a lot of people who are pretty upset know there's something wrong, and they want something different. But the big goal is, is to define exactly why and how we got into this mess and what we have to do uh, uh, to get out of it. The whole theory behind free market economics is that the uh, Federal Reserve ha is the key instrument for the business cycle. Uh, their job is to monkey around and fix interest rates, the price of money. Most people in this country, most economists, conservative or liberal, are no longer pushing wage and price controls. That doesn't mean they might not try that later on, because wage and price, price controls are coming in medicine, and that's one of the problems we have already, and we'll have it, it much worse. But nobody really is out there saying wage and price controls uh, is something that is beneficial. You're listening to From the National Press Club. This week, the guest is Texas Republican Congressman Ron Paul. But when it comes to fixing the price of money, fixing the interest rates, nobody asks any questions. 
I mean, they just assume, well, the Federal Reserve knows what's best. They know exactly how much money there should be. They know what the interest rates should be. And yet, in free market economics, uh, we have come to understand that prices are key. Uh, the, the, the price of a product tells the businessman and the consumer what to do. If the price is too high, the consumer doesn't buy. If, uh, if the, and, and then the businessman knows what to do. So without that, socialism is destined to fail. And this is what a free market economist by the name of Von Mises in 1912 predicted. So he predicted the, the default of a communist system before it was actually really, uh, you, you know, at, at, at its best level. It was yet to come, but socialism was, uh, you, you know, explained to uh, never work, and it didn't work. And we've seen the failure of it. <clears throat> the only question now is uh, whether interventionism, which is what we have today, how long it will last. But money is one half of every single transaction, and yet we don't question the fact that, you know, a couple, a couple individuals secretly, 12 people get together and say, Oh, I wonder what the money supply should be this week. Oh, there's a crisis going on. Uh, let's double the money supply. Let's create $15 trillion worth of bailouts. Who gets the bailouts? Oh, the people who are too big to fail. The people who are too little to worry about, they go and they lose their jobs and they lose their houses. This is all done behind the scenes. The Federal Reserve is bigger and spends more money than the Congress does. And there's no oversight. And this is one of the reasons I have for years and years argued for oversight. Back in the 70s, it was Henry Royce, uh, a chairman of the, Federal, of the Banking Committee, wanted to do it. And Henry Gonzalez, another Democratic chairman, he tried to get it done. It hasn't been done. But we are making inroads due to the lawsuits that have come up and due to a very partial audit that we had uh, last summer. So we are getting some information. The information isn't good. The Fed was involved with probably about $15 trillion worth of transactions, and a third of it was there to serve foreign banks. And when the American people hear this, no wonder they're up on Wall Street raising cane, because they know that the system is biased against the average person. And I think this is an issue that uh, really questions the whole idea uh, of the interventionist system, uh, and, and what I said at my opening remarks was that the free market is the humane system. It's a humanitarian system. It is the very best. And yet it is we who argue for limited government and free markets are always saying, well, you guys don't care. You just put people in the gutter. You won't give them anything for free. And this is the result. Well, the result is that uh, the system we have today, whether it's the recession or the result of a financial bubble, just think of the housing programs. We had easy money, easy credit, lower interest rates. Everybody was to have a house. And not only did the Fed make the money available, then there were the affirmative action programs telling the banks they had to make bad loans. And it seemed to work. People were buying houses. It was fantastic. The price of houses would go up and they'd borrow more against it. And people didn't know there was, I don't know how anybody could miss it, that there was a bubble out there. So they continued to do that. And then the bubble bursting it was predictable by free market economics. It comes and, and, and uh, what happens? Yelling and screaming and scaring the people. There's going to be a depression. There's going to be a depression if you don't bail out. Bail out the rich, bail out the corporations, bail out the banks, bail out the foreign banks. They didn't get the depression. They got the bailout. What did, what did the Fed buy? They have a trillion dollars worth of uh, securities, these uh, derivative type of securities. Why don't they sell them? Well, they're worthless. 
So instead of liquidating debt, which is necessary in a bubble in order to get back to growth again, we only just transfer the penalty from the wealthy and the Wall Streeters over onto the uh, over to the people. But what happened to all this wonderful idea of giving the people uh, a house? They lost their job. They lost. They couldn't pay their mortgages, and now they're losing their houses. And there's no end in sight. And the basic flaw in this is the prevention of politicians from allowing the markets to correct because politicians can't act with, with hands off. They have to do something. Prior to the 1930s, there were uh, recessions and depressions, and it usually came because of distortion of money and credit and, and uh, pyramiding debt, and the correction had to come. But the... At that time, there was not this Keynesian obsession with bailing out people, so the Depression would last a short period of time. In 1929, the recession lasted for, I mean, 1921, the recession, depression, lasted for a year. We don't even study it in history books. But in the 1930s, that is when the Keynesian interventionists had uh, come in vogue and you had to do something, and, and, uh, and it started with Hoover, and then it went into Roosevelt, and, and they gave us a depression that really didn't end until 1947. This idea that war ends depression, it's a, it's a distasteful uh, idea that still floats around. Have a war and get rid of the depression. Uh, yes, it gets rid of unemployment, but where are the people employed? carrying guns and getting shot at and getting killed. But uh, real growth didn't come until about 1947. That was after millions of troops came home. The military budget was slashed in more than half. Taxes went down 30%, and we went back to work again. But we're doing the same thing, same thing that the Japanese have been doing for a couple decades, propping up bad debt. And that's the most difficult thing that we uh, have to deal with is allowing these mistakes uh, uh, to, be co- to be corrected. Now, the, uh, this, th- these ideas have floated around a long time, and they are connected to those ideas of personal liberty because we should see people as individuals and not in groups. I, uh, it was mentioned in the introduction about uh, who can and who cannot serve in the military, and, and I see that as uh, th- those problems that we've had in the past is too often we see people, well, in, in the very long past, people were mistreated because they belonged to certain groups, which was very evil. But now we still see people trying to gain advantage. Well, I belong to this group or this group or this group. And uh, a, a person that understands personal liberty sees everybody as an individual and it has nothing to do with the group that you belong to. And it's a, it is a system of thought that is very tolerant. In, in many ways, it's uh, the, way we should look, the way we look at our First Amendment. Uh, we're very tolerant about our First Amendment in, in many ways because what we do is we say, well, you can say things, you can, and the First Amendment is there to protect you from to say controversial things, and we don't question the fact that you can study very, very vicious philosophies. Just think of how many millions, hundreds of millions of people were killed by uh, communists in the, in the 20th century, but we don't outlaw that. So often people are annoyed when I talk about personal liberty is they get annoyed. Well, somebody might use their personal liberty to practice a habit that I can't endorse. Legalizing people to make freedom of choices as long as it doesn't hurt other people is not an endorsement because you can read something and you have the First Amendment rights. That doesn't mean we endorse those things. I mean, if we could allow individuals to pick and choose their intellectual lives and their spiritual lives, 
Why is it we got to this point that we are obsessed with regulating people's personal habits and dependent on the government that we tend to complain about so much that the government will always take care of us. We've now accepted the notion that governments uh, can protect us from ourselves. And it's very, very dangerous. And, uh, and it's a careless attitude about civil liberties. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity american manganese incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest united states and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world a National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Attention Gold Stock Investors, Brazil Resources, Inc., trading as BRIZF on the OTCQX and as BRI on the TSX Venture, is exploring three gold projects in the Garupi Gold Belt in Brazil. Surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits, BRI features top Brazilian geologists, earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold directly in Brazil, led by recognized mining and financing executive Amir Adnani, co-founder and chairman. Look us up now at www.brazilresources.com. That's brazilresources.com. Or call us at 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP gold project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navats Jab Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Lucky Strike Resources Limited conducts due diligence drilling on the claim with a historical resource of 1.5 billion tons of coal in Mongolia. The project is directly north of China, where the coal consumption tripled in the last 10 years to 3.2 billion tons in 2010. Lucky Strike's management team has a proven track record, having contributed significantly in the building of a multi-billion dollar company operating in China. Please visit our website at www.luckystrikeresources.com. Gold with over 800 square kilometers of continuous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. 
Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters all financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only the financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters with regard to your particular investments and financial strategies consult your financial planner cpa or investment professional all your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility the information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding opinion and comments this network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.